And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tonal Soccer Show, an hour review of the 2022 Champions League Final. It's title number 14 for Real Madrid, who proved once again that this competition belongs to them. Yes, Real Madrid beat Liverpool 1-0 at the Stade de France with a goal from Vinicius Junior. Vinny got the winny and sent the Reds into a spinny. Yeah, it's very late and I've had no prep for this, I apologise. <laughs> My name is Ryan Bailey, joining me to record literally minutes after the full-time whistle, before the trophy has even been raised, is a man who has 15 fewer goals than Kareem Benzema in the Champions League this season, but he's our return. MVP Taylor Rockwell. Hello. It's good to be back, and I'm immediately leaving based on that rhyming pun introduction. <laughs> I was on vacation this past week with a lot of other dads, and I would groan uh, every time a pun was dropped. And they just said, "You got to lean into it, man. You're a dad now. This is this is who you are." So I'm slowly trying to embrace it, Ryan. So I guess with that said, it's good to be back. It's good to chat with both of you. Thank you very much, Taylor. You'll get there. That's what I'll say for you. You'll get there. And also, <laughs> you try rhyming something with Vinny when it's nearly midnight local time, Taylor. All right? Okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> His performance wasn't skinny. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that was even better. Darn it. Darn it. You passed. Was it? You, you understood the assignment. <laughs> I'm not sure it was. I'm not sure it was. I agree with Joe. <laughs> also here, you just heard his, uh, his name mentioned there. He's a man who defends his points of view like Thibaut Quartard defends his goal. Joe Lowry, hello. Oh, wow. Vinny got the winnie. Joe's Thibaut Courtois. This is, I honestly think this is a great start. I couldn't ask for this to go any better. The only way is up from here. That's what I say, Joe. That's what I say. Uh, sadly, no Graham Rutherford with us today. He's still on vacation. He's going to see Liverpudlian hero Paul McCartney playing concert in Orlando Oof. tonight. So, Taylor, at least it's going to be one happy scouser out there winning on the big stage. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do wonder if it would be a better show. Like, does Paul McCartney still care about Liverpool such that them winning the Champions League, would he maybe have had a drink? Would he be a little bit looser? I, I know, like, Dropkick Murphys are always a little bit happier when Boston, when the Celtics or the Bruins do things. I wonder if uh, Paul McCartney is the same when it comes to Liverpool. Yeah, I don't think he is. I don't think he's actually a huge soccer fan from what I've what I've got from Paul McCartney. But I'm sure he would be happy. He would be delighted for his uh, his hometown team to have done well. Sadly, they did not, though, Taylor. Um, this team, um, Real Madrid team, did beat Liverpool in the 2018 final. Of course, they beat Liverpool to knock them out last season in this competition. And Carlo Ancelotti's man of men, I should say, have gone and done it again. Uh, Ancelotti, by the way, has won this competition twice as a player, now four times as a manager. Wow. Goodness me. You want some more stats? I'll give you some more stats. Very fine for you. Um, Real Madrid have played five Champions League finals since 2014. They have won them all. They've beaten English teams in the last two rounds. Now the last three rounds, as we speak, in fact. And Karim Benzema now has five Champions League titles alone to his name, with 10 goals in the knockouts, 15 goals, as I mentioned, in the Champions League this season. Didn't get one tonight. Very nearly did. We're going to discuss that in a moment. Um, but I suppose... 
Taylor, we're going to get to the game. We're going to get to all the events. We've got to start off with the big news that sort of came around at the start of this game. Um, Camilla Cabellos' um, opening ceremony, a, a quick 10 minutes or so of analysis of the song she did, um, whether it's appropriate to be singing songs while people being tear gassed outside a stadium. Your thoughts, Taylor? Uh, yeah, my thoughts are that I was trying to figure out the best analogy for that performance. Like, the the band playing as the Titanic sank felt like mm. one, but it seemed like there was another one in which a whole bunch, like maybe Hunger Games style, like there's a whole bunch of rich people celebrating one thing while outside of that facility, thousands of other people are doing the opposite of celebrating. Because as we had that pregame show, we also had thousands and thousands of, of specifically Liverpool fans not allowed into the stadium, queuing for multiple hours, uh, tear-gassed in certain locations, very much a chaotic scene outside of the stadium uh, in the lead-up to the match. And even after kickoff, you still had fans stranded outside or still trying to get in. Yes, this one kicked off 37 minutes past uh, its uh, scheduled kickoff time. Very, very MLS, very US soccer, in fact, <laughs> of, uh, of the Champions League to do that. But it was, was because of uh, fans having difficulty getting into the stadium. Not fans being late to the stadium as UEFA messaging would have it but uh, we did see video of fans jumping fences to try and get in on time many of whom uh, evidently had tickets as well um, and there's so many of those fans delayed for several hours as you say Taylor um, pictures of fans holding tickets being pepper sprayed by the French police and sadly if you have experienced French police they are rather trigger happy with the ter- with the pepper spray and, and tend to be that way um, a very big failure of the entry system at the Stade de France I think we could say perhaps a failure of UEFA um, the BBC were reporting that many Ticklets fans were trying to get in, and we do know around 30,000 Liverpool fans did travel to Paris uh, to enjoy the festivities without a ticket, but there is a huge fan festival there. and there was, you know, I, I, for one, know several people who went there just to enjoy the scenes of Paris, but uh, unfortunate for many who may have been delayed getting into the game, and the, and the game itself was delayed. I suppose a question, Joe, is how much that would affect the teams. They, kept, they had to come out and warm up mm-hmm. again, and Nobody think of poor Camila Cabellos, who had to maybe do her vocal warm-ups again for a, for a 37-minute delay as well. But the team coming out again, There's you're all hyped up for the biggest game of certainly of your season, maybe of your life for many of those players. And then you have to, you know, delay for that long. Usually a delay is maybe 15 minutes, but over half an hour here, Joe. Psychologically, that's got to play a part. I am actually blaming that delay on a lack of goal fest in this contest. I feel like things might have come out swinging a little more. Am I being, is that wishful thinking, Joe? I think it must have affected the players though, right? No, I'm sure it did affect the players. The question is how that affected how the game was played. We've all been in situations, I imagine, over the course of our lives where we're getting ready to play a game. It's the easiest example. And something happens that postpones kickoff. That happened to me a number of different times playing soccer when I was younger, and I'm sure it happened to other folks as well. It it messes with you a little bit. The difference is I'm not a professional athlete and none of the rest of us are. So I'm guessing the effect on them is less than it would be on the rest of us. But Ryan, I think you're right. I'm sure that affects how players are thinking and how they're preparing and and their mental state ahead of a game like this. Weirdly, I actually thought it, it might end up affecting the game a little bit more than it did. I don't know if we would have gotten more goals if it had started on time or not. I don't know if uh, if Camila Cabello's performance would have been better or not. It doesn't matter, right? But for the sake of this conversation, I actually thought Liverpool came out swinging in the first five minutes of this game. They they high-pressed from the jump. They win the ball two, three, four times in the first few minutes of this game with their high-press, with their counter-press. They were really aggressive. And I, if I just tuned, tuned in thinking that the game started at my time, 12.37 – I wouldn't really have thought much of it. It didn't look to me like two teams that have been 
really faked out or that had been that, that I had trouble adjusting to a different kickoff time. I thought the game actually had a decent bit of energy early on. It felt almost too open in a weird way. It felt like an NBA game to me. Maybe that was the camera work a little bit as well. But <laughs> back and forth, end-to-end, Trent Alexander-Arnold running up free on the right side. Real Madrid getting free a little bit through Kareem Benzema in more central areas and then him pulling off to the left as well. I thought the game actually had a pretty decent clip to it for the first 5, 10, 15 minutes. And so I, I didn't notice a ton of players being really affected by that delay. I think for me, where I wondered if we saw the impact was later on in the game, maybe later on in the first half, but especially in the second half, that if you get teams sort of revved up, like if you've got them kind of up to like where they need to be emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever it is, to start that game in such a monumental game at that, and then have them sit and wait, I wonder if some of that adrenaline wears off. Mm. If there is a little bit of mental fatigue because you have to stay at this kind of elevated status for a little bit longer even if you're not playing so i agree with you joe i i thought we might see pure chaos in those opening 10 to 15 minutes and i think we still saw a lot of what we expected to see but what i expected less was liverpool looking sloppy in that second half and not completing passes that i think they normally would have completed not taking opportunities i think they normally would have uh taken and and I do wonder if part of that was just you know we're we're losing one nil in the Champions League final there's pressure oh no what's going to happen and maybe Thibaut Courtois broke their spines a little bit but I also think some of that execution had me wondering if there's just a mental fatigue you don't have that sharpness in those final minutes the way you would expect Liverpool to have and maybe Madrid not to have but if anything I thought Real Madrid were sharper as those final minutes kind of wore down. Yeah, Taylor, Liverpool had 23 attempts to Real Madrid's three in this one. Liverpool going into this game, we can probably all agree, were the better team, ostensibly speaking. But there was also this feeling, and I certainly had this feeling, that Real Madrid were going to win this regardless. So how how did how did Real Madrid wrestle this away from Liverpool, I suppose, is my question. What did Liverpool do wrong here? You said they get the sloppy in the second half. Was it down to individual sloppiness, do you think? Was it Was it something broader than that? I think a little bit of both. I, I think there were some individual performances that I don't think were where they needed to be or were just maybe a little bit under par. I think uh, uh, Keita's substitute appearance will probably not go down in memory in a positive way, especially his attempted Travella with his dominant foot and skying at 30 yards. Yeah. But I thought Mohamed Salah as well, for as influential as he was, I had some friends take the over on Mohamed Salah's shots on target, which I think was one and a half, and he smashed that inside the first, I think, 10 minutes. Mm. Had lots of shots, created opportunities, but also I thought at times maybe there was a little bit of the frustration there. I I don't really buy into the idea that footballers read all the newspapers and and have this like, oh, Mohamed Salah's in a slump. He's not playing up to his potential. Is something wrong? I don't know if he's kind of feeling that because only Salah can know for sure if something is wrong. But as that game went on, you could just see his confidence dip, and it culminates in that 82nd minute save that Courtois has. I've seen Mohamed Salah score that goal so often, and Joe, this is probably one of those instances in which advanced statistics would prove me very right or very wrong, but I just couldn't believe it's the one where he cuts back, he gets the shot, Courtois gets that kind of really strong arm and, yeah, and pushes it wide a for a corner. That felt like it would have been a goal in another game with Salah a bit more confident. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a slight lack of execution or a lack of execution at times from Liverpool. But I also think the narrative that Ancelotti's just vibes and good and, you know, just putting players out there and seeing what happens. That I think is also overly dramatic because I think there were very specific tactical things on an individual player basis, but as a, on a team wide basis that Real Madrid utilized effectively throughout to get the result that they did. And, and Real Madrid did a lot of good things in this game, as did Liverpool. I think, 
it's pretty clear, even though they weren't perfect, to see that Liverpool were the better and more consistently dangerous team throughout the majority of this game. But Ryan, yeah, the answer okay. for, for me to the question you asked about me, what went wrong for Liverpool in this game? The answer is easy. It's Thibaut Courtois, right? I mean, that, that is the mm-hmm. answer. That is the only answer, really, or at least the primary answer. I won't say the only answer. Thibaut Courtois had nine saves in this game, according to the expected goals on target metric. Uh, and this is in FOTMOB's app, and I don't know where they get their data, but I saw Tom Warville tweet something out very similar. He saved 2.58 expected goals in this game based off of where the ball was hit on frame. He was everywhere. Taylor, you mentioned that one save he had against Mo Salah, cutting in on, on Salah's left foot and curling a ball to the far post. He saved a, shot, a Salah shot at the near post. He saved just yeah. shot after shot for Liverpool. I, I honestly don't think Jurgen Klopp can look at this team and tell them, yeah, we needed a ton more from you guys tonight. I, I think they played a pretty decent game. They were dominant. Real Madrid didn't have a touch in the box until the 35th minute of this game, and they didn't have a shot until the 43rd minute of this game. Liverpool was on top of things in the first half. And Taylor, to your point, they were not as good in the second half. And the credit should go to Real Madrid and and some Liverpool issues for that. But man, I don't think Liverpool fans or Liverpool themselves or or whoever's involved in that team can really say, man, we didn't give it all. We didn't, you know, we didn't do enough. I think they did enough. Just Thibaut Courtois did even more. Joe, I appreciate you making that point because you're right. I think there's a chance that I'm looking at this as Real Madrid 1-1-0 and so they had the better game and when you start there and then look back at the notes, you're always going to see it one way. Whereas, you're right, I, looking back, those opening 20 minutes or so, it's all Liverpool. Yeah. And that's where I felt like this game was going to be either Liverpool do their thing and force Madrid into a mistake and then capitalize or maybe, just maybe, a uh, a Liverpool defender makes a mistake and that's how Madrid are able to score. And I felt very vindicated when we thought for a moment like Karim Benzema had scored (laughs) in that first half. But I felt that way because Liverpool just seemed like they were all over Madrid. Madrid couldn't play out. They struggled to connect passes. They went long, I think, far more often than they had planned to. Uh, But it was telling to me as well that Liverpool still weren't able to get that many great opportunities. The one that stands out to me, at least in the kind of this first 30 minutes or so, is that uh, Sadio Mane cutting inside in the 21st minute. He gets the shot off. Courtois pushes it onto the post, and then Courtois gets up and covers but even there, it's it's uh, Thiago having to hit a perfect, like perfectly disguised pass, reverse diagonal pass through the lines to find Mane. Mane then cuts inside, still has defenders around him and in front of him, and gets that shot off. So it's 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 not quite like Liverpool were getting those kind of point blank opportunities, and then Courtois was making the save. But he made the saves where they mattered, and he kept. Madrid in the game in a way that I think a less experienced goalkeeper or a less confident goalkeeper probably wouldn't have been able to do so. But I think there's little things that uh, stood out to me more, maybe major things as as we talk more, like Luis Diaz being fairly anonymous in this game. And he's a player who has so consistently impressed since moving to Liverpool that I was kind of at a loss for what had happened. Uh, Felipe uh, Cardenas of The Athletic had a tweet about it. Uh, I texted a little bit with him, and he was basically arguing that this is an example of Real Madrid getting their tactics or their approach right. They went with, uh, in Spanish, it's uh, S. Escalonado? Escalonado. There we go. Uh, Layered defending. But it's the idea that they swarmed Luis Diaz, or if not swarmed him in terms of just like crashing him with a bunch of people, they kept him in a triangle of Carvajal, Militao, and Valverde. This is Felipe uh, messaging, and it essentially made it so that even when Luis Diaz would get in some 1v1s, there was regularly support uh, for Real Madrid on the defensive side, or even he wouldn't get those 1v1s because by the time he received it, they had numbers around him to limit what he was able to do. And I think 
that was all with an eye towards kind of stopping the snowball before it started rolling. It didn't get too big. It didn't get too much momentum behind it. If you can momentum behind it, if you can slow it down in those initial phases. And I think that is one minor example of little things that Madrid did throughout this game to continuously throw off Liverpool's uh, kind of rhythm and the way they wanted to play. Taylor, my theory for Luis Diaz, by the way, um, Sid Lowe tweeted um, before the game that Luis Diaz's dog is called Tony Kroos. Uh, I think not only was he confused by having someone named after his dog on the field, but that person also playing at left back quite a lot in this game. Someone think... named after his dog. You just yeah. said Tony Cruz is named after a dog. Yeah, I think the dog came first. Yeah, Luis, Luis Diaz is dog, Taylor. Are you yeah. not, did you not hear what Ryan said? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, Ryan. I missed you guys. <laughs> anyway. Also, uh... I apologize for being so rusty because... And in his prime, in his form, Taylor would oh. have known that Ryan was going to start this show by asking for my thoughts on Camila Cabello's uh, performance. And though I know nothing about her, an informed Taylor would have done a bunch of research to have like really long and elaborate thoughts such that Ryan became very uncomfortable very quickly that yeah. I had put this much thought into that pregame show. I'd love to have seen your moleskin notebook notes on <laughs> Camila Cabello's, uh, Taylor, on a, different, on a different timeline. You did mention, though, Taylor, the Karen Benzema goal that was not given uh, shortly before halftime. Um, let's have that tedious conversation about offside here because <laughs> soccer is a simple game, apart from when it comes to the nuances of offside. I think we can probably all agree. Now, this one wasn't given to Karen Benzema uh, because it was kind of a deflection off of the Liverpool players there. It wasn't a deliberate play, as it was called here. The ball came loose from attack effectively so Fabinho's last touch uh, on the ball before it went to Benzema didn't bring him back on side so says the rules now my problem Taylor mm. is that a I'm not sure when the new phase of play would start if that's even a part of this conversation is it when Kenyatta comes in and touches the ball for example and also this idea of deliberately playing the ball yes um, Fabinho isn't delib- it's not deliberately deflecting off of him but he's deliberately involved in the phase of play. He's deliberately playing the ball. He's deliberately trying to clear the ball from the box. That's why he's there on the floor going for the ball. So I find it, we it's got a bit of nuance, the phrase deliberate play. It's got nuance and it's got, it, it, it becomes a bit philosophical, a bit intangible because I don't know what deliberate play means. And I think it's not clear enough to justify that rule. Am I making mm-hmm. any sense, Taylor? I mean, you're making about as much sense as you can with a topic like this that is ultimately a ton of philosophy and yeah, buts, because you could really yeah, but almost any point of this. The way I see it is there's that loose ball. Fabinho is coming in to try to make a play on Federico Valverde. So too is Konate. And there is a little bit of chaos. There's one good angle that shows it. I'm not even sure Valverde gets a touch or if he does, it doesn't really matter because Fabinho then does get a touch with that sliding tackle. The ball then hits Konate, and then I would say goes off of uh, Fabinho's trailing leg, and that's when it goes to uh, Karim Benzema. And that's where I would say there is an intentionality, and that gets to the kind of idea of the handball law, and if you don't have time to react, or if you're not doing it deliberately, then is it going to be a handball? Probably not. And here, I think because it's the trailing leg, you could argue Fabinho doesn't know what he's doing or isn't making an intentional play in that way. He's making an intentional defensive play. And this is the philosophy is like, well, but if he's diving in at that angle, isn't there a chance that that ball is always going to pop out to Kareem Benzema? And I think the answer to that is, yeah, probably. So then that opens up a different can of worms. Ultimately, I think the easy way to understand this is that 
the the flag goes up for offside there is a replay with VAR that shows that yes like he is he is offside it does come off of a Liverpool player but it's not deliberate and therefore Kareem Benzema is uh, I guess still seen as being offside and no goal is given my other issue that seems to kind of get lost in the shuffle is that there's no way that's why he was called offside he was called offside because the I think AR had that line. Allison is off his line. The way the AR is standing, it looks like, oh, yeah, Kareem Benzema is standing in an offside position when he gets that ball or when the ball is played. So I'm ruling it out. That flag goes up. I think if that flag doesn't go up, this is counted as a goal. Yep. And ultimately, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because Madrid win. But when the flag goes up, there's no way that the VAR or the AR was looking at it and saying, oh, no, it came off of Fabinho's knee, but that was an unintentional play. It was, oh, I, I think he... He saw the trailing defenders and thought, oh, yeah, that, there's not enough there to keep Benzema uh, on side. And I just find that to be an odd thing that doesn't like matter as much in the grand scheme of things, that the official might have been wrong on that call, but gets bailed out by VAR looking at it from a different angle. That's interesting. So um, Does that make sense? See, again, you know, we're back at yeah, the, like, it, I think it all makes sense. It, it we're does make sense. Now. Is what, that you right? said, what you said makes sense, Taylor. The, the issue that I have that, that I totally agree with you on is – the fact that the initial call made on the field may or may not have been the right call. I tend to lean towards it being the right call and no goal being the right decision. But that wasn't why the call was made. That's that's your part of your point right, there, Taylor, exactly. right? He didn't the, the AR didn't raise his flag because he saw and parsed through all of that in real time. He he raised his flag and, and got it wrong. And it right. seems to me that Real Madrid end up getting penalized for that initial wrong decision, even if the call was right. Just, just the, the way that they got to it was wrong. And so that's all, it, it's all complicated. And I am in a weird way thankful that we don't have to worry about like really fully litigating this because Real Madrid won this game and I don't have a dog in this fight. But in terms of this discourse, I am happy about that. My overarching takeaway though is the communication from the, the people that are making these decisions, from the referee crew, from the VAR crew, through the broadcast, through to us sitting at home watching this game or sitting somewhere in public and watching this game is not good. It is not good enough. And maybe there's a broadcast out there, a network out there that did a good job. CBS didn't really provide a ton of insight. I don't think a lot of other networks Mm. did either. And it would be easier if there was clear information being communicated to them. And I don't know what info is being communicated, but it's not NBA style or NFL style where a referee is getting on a mic and explaining it to the entire crowd and clarifying it, whether you agree with it or not. Having someone do that and, and just tell you straight up, here's what we're calling. You can agree with it or not, but this is what our decision-making process is. That would have been so helpful in this instance and I think is going to continue to be a problem going forward. And I feel like it's a really fixable thing for soccer and they're just not there yet. Yeah, I think, Joe, I agree with you that that is a pretty logical fix is have them explain it or have them on a mic. Like you can – like the TV – uh, crew, the producer can can channel that mic and then we can hear the decision as it's happening or what they're discussing or have some like third party analyst who's in there explaining what the debate is. Maybe that's the way to go. But I think part of the reason why they don't want to do that is because what we'll end up hearing is a lot of the same conversations that we're having now that yeah, we had fair. before VAR. It does mm-hmm. seem like there is a ton of interpretation and maybe analysis and a little bit of philosophy thrown in there. And so a thing that is meant to be very crystal clear ultimately gets hazier and murkier. And I don't even know if that's that big of a problem because 
there's lots of different things happening simultaneously in soccer. But I still think what we would end up getting is an insight that, oh, they're kind of figuring it out, too, based on the situation, which isn't the worst thing. But it removes that, like cloak of no veil veil cloak like it basically takes away a shield they have of this is how it is it's very official hard lines hard rules that's what video analysis is about and instead shows oh no they're kind of figuring out as they go and i'm not sure that's what fifa wants and i'm not even saying they have to go through and like live broadcast the decision making process but even if they just explain more clearly this is the decision we made and and here's like the two points in the i I don't know i I, I'm, i'm not fully there on how to solve this problem but I think there's a way, Taylor, to kind of split that difference mm-hmm. and still protect the people making those decisions and also provide a better level of insight. Yeah. That's fair. UEFA and FIFA famous for their transparency. Of <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was the goal that didn't count. Let's talk about the one that did and much more after these short messages. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Joseph Lowry, we had some um, potential controversy at the start of this game with Thiago and whether he was fit to start this game. He did in the end. But another interesting decision for Jurgen Klopp was in the centre-back position, and whether it was John Matip or Kinate starting in the back. And uh, Klopp went with Kinate here, uh, with the logic being that he could look after the pace of someone like Vinicius Jr. a little better. But in the end, for the goal, which was scored by Vinicius, it seemed to be Trent Alexander-Arnold who sort of left him, uh, well, maybe chose not to be anywhere within 10 yards of him. Like, mm. I, there was, um, there was a, a headline in The Guardian uh, on Saturday morning, Joe, uh, from a quote from TAA saying, I can see things other people can't see, and that gives me an advantage. <laughs> and that doesn't play very well right That's now, give, yeah. seeing how Trent played Vinny onside and uh, sort of gave him 10 yards as well. So uh, that the ball in, the assist in from Valverde was incredible. Very, very difficult to defend ball, but Trent did not cover himself in glory there, Joe. So let's start with the quote, because I, I do think Trent Alexander-Arnold is right. He does see things in possession that other players just don't. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the world. I think he's one of the best players in the world at the things he's very, very good at. We know at this point that Trent Alexander-Arnold is not the best defender. Weirdly, I don't think this is the play to really make that case. It's funny when you when you line it up with a quote, Ryan, that, that got me laughing. But I think the issues here for Liverpool go back much further in this play and really don't fall a ton on Trent Alexander-Arnold. So to back up a little bit in the sequence, it's a Real Madrid throw-in on the left side, so the near side on the broadcast. They switch the point of attack from that left side over to the right side. It's Carvajal, the Casemiro to Modric, and we're in the middle of a really nice piece of possession from Real Madrid. It's not this really well-spaced out, thoughtful, meticulous possession. It's just kind of... It it is Real Madrid. This sequence is Real Madrid and how they pass the ball around. The spacing isn't great. 
but the technical quality is so, so good. So it's, it's Carvajal to Casemiro to Modric, back up to, to Carvajal, then to Casemiro again, then to Valverde up on the right side. It's beautiful passing. And then it's Valverde with, I'm not really sure it's an intentional ball, Ryan, but if it is, it is a fantastic ball. Either way, it's it a low-driven ball that comes off of Valverde's foot and goes over to where Vinicius Jr. is standing and, and running towards, and he puts the ball in the back of the net. So th- those issues that I mentioned earlier on for Liverpool, though, if we, if we take the Real Madrid part out for a second or at least flip the focus, is they kind of get pulled apart here. They get played, they, their lines get broken into the midfield area. So right in front of their midfield trio and then really behind and a little outside their midfield group. They get broken. Uh, Andy Robertson gets pulled up and then it's basically Liverpool in a temporary back three because Real Madrid have overloaded and progressed down their right and Liverpool's left. So everybody's shifted over. And by the time the ball gets on Valverde's foot, it's a few defenders back for Liverpool. And Trent Alexander-Arnold has Vinicius Jr. behind him. I, I believe behind him, if I'm thinking of this correctly. He has, he has yep. Vinicius Jr. in his area. And then also he has Tony Kroos, who's not really directly around him. The person, him. not the dog, by the way. Yes, yes, the person, not the dog, Ryan. See, you are so valuable to this podcast, Ryan Bailey. I just had As, to rewrite my notes. I had that totally wrong. I did think it was the dog, so thank ah, you. You're welcome. Okay, see, that was helpful for everyone, I think. It was, for me, it for was. Taylor, for the audience. So either way, TAA has, has Tony Kroos ahead of him uh, towards the top of the box, and he has Vinicius Jr. It's maybe not an, an overload in a direct sense in terms of them both being really tight to Alexander-Arnold, but he still has to deal with a ton of space. And I don't think, Ryan, there's a player in the world, really, who could defend that situation perfectly. I think when that Mm. ball comes in like it does in Liverpool or undermanned at the back post and really undermanned defensively in that entire sequence, yeah, you want to do better, but that is just like an impossible situation for for Trent Alexander-Arnold to be in. And it is unfortunate for him and certainly for Liverpool that he ends up there. All right, Joe, well, let, let, let me refer back to my notes I made before the game and pot- potential weaknesses in Liverpool. And this, I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but one of sure. my notes here is the space behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, and my notes say that Vinicius Jr. twice exploited that space behind him last season to score in that 3-1 result that knocked Liverpool out of the Champions League. It's almost as if nothing has been learned there. Well, I mean, you're still going to press that advantage if you're Real Madrid, but but it's a trade-off. All all of Liverpool's tactical approach is a trade-off. Their high line, which is not really the main cause of this goal, it wasn't the the main problem for Liverpool here. It really was that right-sided overload for Madrid that then pulls Liverpool over to their left side, Real Madrid's right side. But either way, everything that that Liverpool does, especially defensively, is about a trade-off. They play a really high line in most games and in most sequences of games because they believe that it is the best way for them to win games and for them to stop opposing teams' attacks. And I I think we've seen it. You know, when they get this many points consistently over the last number of years, I I think it's impossible to argue with it. It's going to look terrible in sequences. And Liverpool's defending looks pretty poor in this sequence. And that's what happens Mm -hmm. when you play a team as good on the ball as Real Madrid, but you're playing the numbers game. And for Liverpool, this goes back to kind of my opening thoughts about this game and this team. For Liverpool, I think if they play this game a dozen times they're going to roll the dice on, on this set of circumstances happening, and it may be favoring them more often than not, especially with the number of chances they had on goal and the number of, of really dangerous opportunities that they snuffed out for, Liver- for, for Real Madrid, excuse me, with their pressing and their counterpressing. 
Joe, for most of that analysis, I want you to know that I was, I genuinely was just like nodding the entire time because I agree <laughs> with pretty much everything you said. In fact, I agree with all of what you said, uh, but three specific things. The first would be the role of Andy Robertson in this goal. I watched this goal about 15 times now, and it stands out to me. Uh, it, it, this all starts with a Madrid throw on their left side. It's a seven pass, I think. No, excuse me, nine pass sequence ultimately that ends in the goal. But it's a lot of sort of improvised dribbling, and in all of that, it's Andy Robertson further forward, further forward, further forward, such that Virgil van Dijk is having to split the difference of staying in his center back position roughly, so there aren't huge gaps in that line, but also paying attention to Valverde. And he can't really do one without half doing the other, and so in the end, Valverde is able to get that ball in space and carry it forward. And that's where, ultimately, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold, though he will come in for criticism I agree with Joe that I think it's a bit unfair. I think this is one of those goals where he looks way worse on slow-mo after you've watched a bunch of times to see how wide open Vinny Jr. is. But then you look at it again, and and I do think Valverde meant to hit that ball, but I kind of believe that because I think it's ultimately a perfect ball through the lines. It splits them. There's bodies there. I think if you're Trent Alexander-Arnold, you can't risk making a play or tracking somebody and potentially putting somebody else on side or leaving somebody to go get somebody else, and now you've left another man. I think it's one of those, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so in the end, he looks like he is at fault, but I think ultimately it goes to the word that Joe said, it's that Liverpool were undermanned in this one. And it's one of the rare times that I can recall in this game that that happened. The only other one that jumps out would be, I think later in the second half, Madrid end up with that kind of 3v1, and I think Benzema Mm. hits a pass that maybe his teammate isn't quite ready for. But other than that, this is one of the few moments in the game when Madrid committed numbers. Oftentimes their counter was three at most, and they kept at least five back and very central to limit any sort of counterattacking threat. Here they have five inside Liverpool's box, and it makes a difference because it creates that confusion, it creates that chaos, and it's also sort of an improvised play that leads to this momentary opportunity. And so it's Liverpool scrambling, it's Madrid committing numbers and backing themselves to make something happen, and that's exactly what happens. I'm just impressed you watched it 15 times since the game ended, Taylor. It's just it's so it's just such a weird goal to try to analyze because like the first time Modric gets the ball, he's on Madrid's right hand side and he and he starts dribbling backwards. And it reminds me of those like original pressing videos of the Dutch team in the 1970s where it's just the entire team is chasing one player with the ball. He has like five different Liverpool players pursuing him. And you expect that to be like, oh, okay, so they all over-pursue, that opens up this huge gap, and that, oh, nope, that's not it. They all kind of reset their positioning, and it just keeps being these strange sequences that don't quite end up costing Liverpool, like, in a very specific, obvious way. It's just, I think they all have the added impact of people running all over the place, scrambling to kind of put out fires, but then other ones pop up. They scramble to put out those, but it's a lot of running, it's a lot of positional flexibility, and ultimately it's players out of position at a time that Madrid commit those numbers forward. Joe, can we draw any more positives for Liverpool at this point? Um, Maybe Thiago. uh, As I mentioned, he was uh, 50-50 to start, it seemed, and certainly I was watching the BT Sport coverage, the UK coverage, before the game started, and they seemed adamant that he was going to pull out and have Keita replace him at any second. Um, But I thought he actually ended up being one of the better players for Liverpool, certainly in, in an attacking sense. I enjoyed Thiago, I enjoyed Fabinho, I enjoyed a lot of what Henderson did overlapping on that right side. I just enjoyed watching Liverpool in this game, and more so really just enjoyed the game in general. I thought there were more good performances, generally speaking, than bad ones. I agree with Taylor. Luis Diaz was a little quieter, um, but man, 
overall, I thought this was just a strong performance from this team. Ryan, to zoom in on Tiago for just a second, he was brilliant playing some of those right-footed balls. John Muller had a great piece for The Athletic out about Liverpool and how they've evolved a little bit season by season under Jurgen Klopp. And one of the things that he highlighted was Thiago playing more on the left this season and getting more chances to get the ball on his right foot and really make things happen, uh, shaded towards that left side relative to maybe starting him on the right side. And I thought he was really good in terms of ball progression in this game, in terms of helping Liverpool you know, show some different dimensions in possession. He He's really come into his own this season for Liverpool. I think he's been brilliant to watch for the majority of this season, as has really all of the Liverpool team. Taylor, we, we we're told constantly on the commentary how Thiago hits the ball differently. Um, but I think you made a point in our, in our chat about his cadence. Oh, yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it and maybe is a sign that the, like, after those first 20 minutes, this, the first half kind of slowed down. Because I started paying attention to things like how many steps Thiago takes. And it's not that he's carrying it forward at speed, and then there's a lot of little steps because he's a shorter guy. It's that even if he receives the ball with one touch and plays it with a second and doesn't really move at all from where he received to where he passes, he has so many little steps around the ball and feints and stepovers that don't necessarily lead to anything. But I, I pointed out that Mane chance in the 21st minute. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's Thiago gets the ball, does just like he shapes one way, he shifts the other, he steps back over, and then he ends up, so he's basically facing inside, then faces outside, then faces inside again, and then plays it back outside with that kind of reverse pass for Mane. And it, it's just a, it's a little thing. He doesn't make the ball move around. He moves himself around the ball to kind of keep his angles open and have those passing options. But then I think he also uses it to then disguise some of those passing options and disguise where he's going to put it. It was a fun thing to watch in a an unfun part of this game. Indeed. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we need to heap some praise on Real Madrid, I think. And we're going to do exactly that after this short one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Champions League final is what we're talking about. Taylor Rockwell, we should probably talk about Real Madrid in this instance. They had some very good performances in this game. I thought Valverde was excellent. Uh, Both centre-backs thought were very good here. And we've already mentioned Thibaut Courtois, man of the match, undoubtedly. Yeah, I think that that has to be the case. I mean, Vinny Jr. like gets a lot of the attention, deservedly so, for being in the right place to finish that one. Uh, I thought, I'm going to assume this would be one that if we watched it again, we would see Kareem Benzema doing a lot of little mm-hmm. things to try to create opportunities. But I think he was definitely a focal point for Liverpool in trying to limit how much he was on the ball. I think Fabinho regularly kind of sitting on him, made Luka Modric uh, try to find space. And I think Modric in that first half tended to play 
pretty far up the pitch. We saw him drop in in the second half, and I think that was really useful. But ultimately, I think it is uh, Thibaut Courtois who deserves the plot. It deserves that man of the match honor because some of those saves, really the one the one uh, from Mane that he turns onto the post sets the tone because that could easily have gone in. And then instead of this being a Liverpool do their Liverpool thing and Real Madrid bend but don't break, it's Liverpool do their Liverpool thing and Madrid break almost instantly. And much harder to come back. Even if Madrid have done that time and time again, Guys, this is I know this is going to be kind of complicated science, so bear with me. But it turns out it's easier to win if it's nothing-nothing as opposed to when you're 1-0 down. It's much harder to win a game when you're 1-0 down as opposed to drawing. So uh, to start there, Courtois, (laughs) with that save, has a huge impact. He has the one in the the closing minutes on Salah that I mentioned previously that Salah would have scored but didn't. And then the one that Joe spotlighted where Courtois goes to kind of deal with a potential header at the back post, and it's Jota rises up, heads it back across for Salah, and somehow Courtois gets back across the face of goal, covers the near post, but also we've seen those moments when the goalkeeper is trying to kind of hurdle back into position. If an an attacker just hits that ball the right way, they can bank it off the goalkeeper and in, because it's not like the goalkeeper is getting their feet set or getting their positioning right. It's that scramble moment of, I need to just be in a position where I can potentially make a play, But not only does Courtois get to that position, he then keeps the ball in bounds, which I find (laughs) fascinating that it's still not even a corner here. He he makes the save, but it's with his left foot and he plays it to his own teammate and Madrid are able to kind of keep possession there for a second rather than immediately conceding another corner. And I, I just thought like Courtois kind of popping up in those moments made a huge difference on the night. And definitely there are some MVP uh, candidacy discussions to be had. 100%, 100%. After the game, Courtois saying, back in England, I don't get enough respect. So, well, I showed it today. I wanted to put some respect on my name. Uh, the giant chip on his shoulder, not available for comment, I think, <laughs> after the game. Uh, another great quote I saw here from Tony Kroos, Joe. Uh, Wait, he was on Brian, German TV. Brian, after- which one? Which one? Uh, sorry, sorry, human Tony Cross, human Tony Cross. Uh, dog Tony Cross isn't capable of speech, but um, <laughs> a human uh, Tony Cross was on German TV. You don't know that. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I don't know him very well. So Luis is points. very talented. You don't know what oh. he's capable of when it comes to training. Oh. Very, very true. Anyway, Human Kroos <laughs> on German TV, he, uh, he was asked if he was surprised about Liverpool dominating. His response was, you had 90 minutes and you came up with two scheiss questions. I've translated the word he used. And then they walked away from the interview. <laughs> Two negative questions, he said. You can tell right away that you're German. So Tony Kroos wasn't happy with this one, Joe. Wow. But should we be happy with Tony Kroos? My theory is that whenever he plays well, Real Madrid win and play well. He was pretty good here. And as I noted uh, earlier in the show, certainly in the second half, when Mondi would go and walk about, Tony Kroos quite often in the left-back position, which I don't yep. associate with him too much. Tony Kroos was active in this game and had been active in some of the latter stages of this Champions League competition this season in a way that I just don't associate with Tony Kroos. He was moving and shifting spots and, and mostly doing a lot of that defensive running that I just don't expect from him. It's not really his job. It's not one of his main requirements. His job is to help progress the ball and to be a calm presence who can resist pressure when Real Madrid have possession and to be someone who can eventually create a little bit for them from deeper areas. And he did all of that stuff, and he also ran a bunch today and committed really to the defensive side of the game. So I I think, Ryan, Tony Kroos, human Tony Kroos especially, although I'm sure Tony Kroos' dog is is lovely, I think the human (laughs) one deserves a ton of credit for how they played in this game, for how he played in this game. 
I think he was brilliant. I think Luka Modric did a lot of very good things in this one in possession. Mm. I think he did some decent moving, uh, d- decent movement defensively as well. There was a lot to like, despite the fact that I do agree with that reporter who asked Tony Kroos an unfortunate question. I, I do agree that Liverpool dominated for the majority of this game. They are undeniably talented. That's the only explanation for how you beat a Liverpool team like this one, right? Is you have so much individual quality that that really does come together in particular ways to at times become more than the sum of their parts. Liverpool are tactically brilliant, and Jurgen Klopp, I think, has made them into a team that is more than the sum of their parts. But Ancelotti kind of has done that in his own unique Ancelotti way. When you have Luka Modric and Toni Kroos and Benzema and Vinicius Jr., man, those two especially, I thought were lovely with their combination play today. Benzema drifting over to that left side. You can tell he's only going over to that left side to combine with Vinny, right? That's that's only the only reason why he's going over there. He's not going to the right side to combine with Valverde. He's going to the left to combine with Vinicius Jr. And those two, I think, were electric today. When you have those players on the field, even against, I think, one of the greatest soccer teams this game has ever seen, Real Madrid proved that they are also one of the greatest teams that soccer has ever seen, just in a totally different but equally fun, I think, kind of way. So on that note, Taylor, of Real Madrid being the, one of the best teams at this kind of thing, is it just, is it the knockout mentality? Is it vibes? I mean, you mentioned earlier in the show, we've we got to put some respect on Carlo Ancelotti, not just on Thibaut Quarto yeah. here, because there is this perception that he is a vibes manager. But maybe his real genius is that we perceive his teams that way. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an argument there of like, if you think he's all about vibes, maybe you overlook a lot of the preparation that goes into these types of games. And I think... To sort of dismiss an attack, not that people necessarily dismiss him, but like straw man argument here, I guess, like to dismiss an Italian manager, first of all, for not having tactics, that feels wrong. But we're also talking about a manager, uh, Richard Jolly had this tweet. Uh, He has won the European Cup or the Champions League in five different decades, starting in the 80s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now the 2020s. You don't just do that through vibes. You have to do that through tactics. And obviously tactics have evolved, so to have his. But it's little things, like the way they defended Luis Diaz, that sort of flummox a huge part of what Liverpool wants to do in their attack. And that means they have to look for secondary or tertiary options. And when you're taking away that primary route or, or certain primary options, you're just making Liverpool have to figure you out more. And as long as you're making them react to you, they're not as able to be dominant. They're not as able to kind of just play they want to over and over and over again and finally grind their way through or make something happen. And I think it's those little triangulations on certain players so they don't have the time. But I think it's also things like what Joe talked about, where you're overloading one side to then hit that big switch, knowing that Liverpool are going to have fullbacks advance, knowing that they're going to have that back line. It's basically capitalizing or attempting to capitalize on the limited vulnerabilities that your opponent presents while also trying to limit their particular strengths. And that's ultimately what I think a successful manager has to do. That can be through like fine tuning a system, a la Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp that allows you to kind of play this certain way that gives you all this adaptability. Or I think it can be what Carlo Ancelotti is, which is more, Let's play into our strengths. Let's figure out who does what well, how we can limit what they want to do, and then back our players to get the performance we need. And I think that's exactly what happened in this game. 
Uh, Joe, before the game, Ancelotti was asked about Karim Benzema and um, was asked whether the team relies on him too much. And Ancelotti's answer was, it was pretty funny. It was worse to the effect of, yeah, we rely on the guy who scores all of our goals. <laughs> like, he's really good. Um, why would we not rely on him? He said some words to the effect of, it's good that we rely on him. Yeah. So if we look broader picture at Real Madrid, like they didn't, they haven't had Kylian Mbappe come to them. He's not going to come this summer. Um, what is this? What is big picture... What does Real Madrid look like right now? Are they happy with where they're at? Have they got any weaknesses we need to work on here? Like, Karim Benzema's not getting any younger, for example. No, I, I do think the squad will continue to need work, but I think they've started to do some of that stuff. The, some of the younger pieces are there. Vinicius Jr. is a legitimate star in the forward line. He is a star on the left side. For me, he's one of the best players in the entire world, and we saw that in this game. We've seen it basically all season now. So, so Vinicius Jr. is a young presence for them in the attack. They have some really young, dynamic midfield pieces as well in players like Valverde and players like Camavinga. Those guys are incredibly talented, and I think we're going to be seeing more of them every single year. But I think there is room for more. You have opportunities to maybe get a little younger defensively. I know there's some pieces there that are on the younger side, Mondi being one of them. There's others as well. But I think there's room to refresh the squad. But I think we're being foolish if... I think folks are being foolish if they're saying, oh, this team doesn't get Mbappe. They're not going to be able to do anything in the league next year. I think Barcelona are going to be a much bigger threat in La Liga next year than they were this year. But Real Madrid are still very much in that conversation to win. At this point, I've doubted Real Madrid enough to the point where I'm not really willing to do that anymore. And maybe I should have learned that lesson a long time ago. But after all of the games they played, after everyone they've gone through, getting through Manchester City and PSG... And Chelsea, on the way to this game against Liverpool, beating some of the best teams in the world, they need to change some things ahead of next season. That's pretty clear. But I think this is a very good team that has every ability to be right back here again next year in May. Uh, Taylor, my last one for you is a two-part question. First part, um, when Luis Diaz is in the park with his dog, does he call him Tony Kroos or Tony Kroos as a whole name? Mm. And the second part is a more general question about Liverpool what does this season look like then in terms of failure and in terms of success? Uh, obviously, they were on for the quadruple last week, and now the final two parts of that have not come to pass. Uh, and they've ended up with the League Cup and the FA Cup. Judging, I mean, looking at how good this team is and how, you know, how high-flying they are, is that underachievement for them to just get those two domestic cups? So I'll, I'll, I'll let you take your turn with both of those questions, Taylor. Sure. Uh, first one first, uh, I think he calls him Tony Cruz. I think if you're going to give him a first name and a last name, you call him both. You can say Good. it slowly, you can say it fast. I think that depends on if the dog is in trouble or not. Uh, but my friend had a cat that he named Rick Ross, and I always enjoyed that it was <laughs> always Rick Ross. It was never Rick, it was never Ross. It was Rick Ross, what are you doing? And I like the idea of that yeah. being the case for Tony Cruz, the dog. Like Colin Robinson, well, right? What's the whole name? Like Colin Robinson. You have to say the whole name. Yes, exactly. You have to say the whole yep. name. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Good. Exactly. That's a better one. Thank you for that, Ryan. Um, secondly, I, I'm i not a Liverpool fan, so I will leave it to Liverpool fans to kind of sum up how they feel about the season. But my guess would be that this is sort of a meh season in the end, that strides are made. We continue to see a very strong team that competes for their manager, Jurgen Klopp, I believe had the contract renewal. I forget. Time is flat circle slash I have goldfish brain. Uh, But I I think we're going to continue to see a very strong Liverpool challenge for titles. It's just that in this case, they were unsuccessful in the two major pursuits, both in the Premier League and the Champions League. 
And so it's not a failure of a season by any stretch of the imagination to have that title run, to make it to the Champions League final, to win silverware. But when you don't get one of those kind of big moments, those big victories, I think ultimately the season fades a little bit. Uh, whereas Man City, even if they're going to be disappointed by losing that semifinal against Madrid, still have the Premier League winner's medal to fall back on. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Taylor. How do you feel about that one, Joe? Would you would you have your head down if you're a Liverpool fan tonight, or would you be thinking, yeah, all in? We played a lot of games and we had a good season. I mean, my head would be down, right? Just I think that's a natural reaction to losing this game to a Tibor Quad, you know, historic performance and goal. I would be incredibly frustrated about this and how the season ended. Whether or not that makes this season a failure or a success, I. I don't know. This is a weird year for Liverpool. They played as many games in the club season as they possibly could. They played every single game, and they walk out with neither the Champions League trophy or the Premier League trophy. That hurts, right? That is not where they wanted to be, especially when they had a chance to do something truly special in terms of the number of trophies that they won this season. And and getting two is great, but the FA Cup and the League Cup is not exactly those two aren't the ones you're really pushing for relative to the two they didn't win. So, From my perspective, the way I think about this Liverpool season will always be, man, that was a historically good Liverpool team, maybe the best one that there has ever been. And as a non-Liverpool fan, that's enough for me. But as far as what fans are feeling and what people inside that club are feeling, I'm guessing it's a little bit of a different story. Joe, a question for you from me. Uh, Thinking about these two teams and, for example, Madrid having both Gareth Bale and Aiden Hazard on the bench or not involved in this game tells me that they've obviously got some money behind them and are able to spend that money, uh, even if Kylian Mbappe doesn't want as much money as they were offering him, uh, or if anything wants, way, way more. Uh, But (laughs) I guess my question for you is, with maybe not with that in mind, but should Liverpool do some spending. Is this one of those cases where, yes, they finished second, yes, they almost won the Champions League and had a dominant display at times, but without reinvestment, without sort of different looks, different opportunities for different personnel, do they start to stagnate? Because I thought even changes in this game from Jurgen Klopp, I thought that double change, it doesn't work with Keita, but I understood what he was going for with Firmino, of having him in sort of a 4-2-3-1, but allowing him to roam around and try to create overloads and try to get more going through the middle. I thought that made sense, but I kept wondering, do they need a deeper bench? Do they need a few more players to be able to really push Man City even further or win that title again or to go deeper in the Champions League and ultimately get that win? Is that sort of a thing that they should be looking to do or is it more about spending wisely, bringing in one or two maybe depth options, but ultimately keeping the squad as it is? That's what it's going to be. That second one. I would be shocked if we saw Liverpool go out and make any big money moves. It's been reported that they were interested in Erling Holland, but pretty much as soon as the price got higher than they were willing to spend, they yeah. backed out. I mean, that is their MO right now as a team. And I think it, it has made them one of the most interesting and one of the best run teams in the world. I mean, Taylor, I, I look at this Liverpool squad and I look at their bench today. For me, it's plenty deep right now. I mean, you have Diogo Jota on the bench, you have Naby Keita on the bench, Firmino, you know, maybe he won't be around for, for too much longer at this point, I don't know. Joe Gomez and Joel Matip on the bench, Simikas is on the bench, and then you have some academy players as well that have graduated from the academy, Curtis Jones and, and Harvey Elliott, two younger players certainly involved in this team, and then you have James Milner and Oxley chamberlain and Minamino. There's talent there, and I would expect Liverpool to refresh that talent slightly this summer, But I don't see any major weaknesses in this team. I don't think they need upgrades in any one area of the field. 
they have one of the best goalkeepers in the world. They have a bunch of the best defenders, midfielders, and forwards in the world. I don't think this result or really the last couple of, of weeks for Liverpool as they have failed to win the league or the Champions League, it, it sucks for fans and it sucks for people inside that club. But I don't think they are in any need of yeah. any real reset here. I, I agree with you. And, and Joe, I would say that, that answer almost, almost got a 100 out of 100 score for me. I'm docking you five percentage points because you called him James Milner and it's actually Hamas mm, Milner. But that aside, on me. that aside, <laughs> uh, a perfect answer from you. I thought I was going to get docked for not making a Simpsons reference, but the fact that it's for James versus James, that's actually something I can live with. That's right. Um, no dock points, but I'm judging you, Joe, if that helps. Yeah, it's cool. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, so there we have it, guys. Uh, the winner of the Champions League this season was the team that lost its opening home match in this competition to Sheriff Tiraspol. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. That feels like yeah. eight years ago as well. I just yeah. can't believe that happened in this current iteration. That was September, which I suppose is eight years ago, the way oh. time is moving Can on. Can I say, though, that they did start off in rough fashion. I, I struggle to think of a team that has, I mean, I guess there's probably lots throughout Champions League history, but beating in the knockout rounds, PSG, Chelsea, Man City, and then Liverpool in the final, yep. specifically this Liverpool and that Man City, th- mm. that is no small feat. And I, I think, again, that's going to be an enduring testament to just how good this Real Madrid team have been. And that PSG, who was kind of just yeah. like this Real Madrid team, but ex- more expensive. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It, <laughs> it blows my mind. Credit to, credit to Real Madrid. This is the yeah. note, I guess, that I want to leave it on. Credit to Real Madrid. I don't, I'm not sure there's ever been a team that has done this in the way they've done it, making their lives a lot more difficult for large stretches than they needed to be, but still winning games in so many weird and incredibly fun, entertaining ways. I, I, don't, I don't have anything else to say other than congratulations because that's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, very very much agreed, Joe. They did the reverse Man City. They had a difficult path through a cup competition. So well done to Real Madrid for getting this done. And I think well done for making this a really fun competition this year as well. Their their progression through the knockout stage was a lot of fun. We had some great games. The Benfica-Liverpool quarterfinal was awesome as well. I'm Just to think off the top of my head, we've had a lot of fun times, Taylor, in this contest. Uh, it will live long in my memory. Probably not, though. <laughs> probably i mean i always think things will and then within a week i've yeah. moved on to the other game that we have to cover the other 40 games that we've talked about maybe this one will last a little bit longer because fewer games coming up on the schedule yes as stevie g famously said we go again taylor there we, we are. go again very soon uh but for now that is the champions league wrapped up for the season taylor thank you so much for your time tonight right back at you my friend joe lowry a pleasure as always sir you t- you too i don't know where i was going with that yeah yeah you pleasure's do. all mine and yours i we should go You too, my favourite Irish band. Thank you for referencing. We should probably go, Joe. Thank you very much, listener. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.